Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. So uh, how are you doing, Rick? I'm good. I had a really late night. It sounds like we're both a little bit off sleep schedule. You just <laughs> you just woke up from a four-hour nap uh, in the mm-hmm. middle of the day. Uh, you are on vacation, so you have an excuse. I went to bed at, uh, I think, 5.30, 6pm, 6am this morning. Wow. Um, and woke up at a, at 11.30 for a 12pm call. Were you just up working late or what, what was going on? I finally got into the groove with the new website at legupelt.com. I, uh, I, I released it. I, I can't tell you enough how much I copied your website and your design approach. So if you if you feel like I've plagiarized something and you want me to change it, please, please, please tell me and I will change it. Um, but I there's a lot of Tyler uh, invoked in me, and I think that's a good thing. Cool. I'll have to uh, like actually read through it later, but it looks great. Thank you. Yes, I uh, there there are four pages that are dead links still like they have the pound signed in them um, so they don't go anywhere um, but i'm gonna get those done when we get off on the podcast uh, hopefully i won't be up until 6 a.m again um, but if i am that's what it takes and i will be done with this project that's great are you how much of this is like your design versus starting with a webflow template or something like that because it looks very professional i think so i started with a webflow template but then i'm I've gotten proficient enough with with Webflow that I can pretty much build modules from scratch. But I use I basically use the Webflow as a template as a starting point, and then I look at websites I admire and design towards them, starting from the Webflow template. Um, I'm wondering at this point though where I probably would be better off starting from scratch on sites and just building to the design. But I'm I'm not quite I haven't done that. This is working, so I haven't switched to that approach. How about like colors and stuff like that? Because back when we worked together, I don't think you would have even attempted something like this. Did you read up on this or are you just kind of like taking color palettes from elsewhere? I started with a color palette from the template, but I've edited it a little bit. um, And I took a color theory course. part, Part of my coding journey was was very front end heavy and it, uh, part of that was a co- getting into code, a color theory. I have a much better appreciation for or an eye for it now. I also bought that refactoring UI book mm-hmm. and skimmed it um, and uh, so I and I I don't know like I feel more comfortable playing with colors and I also feel more comfortable playing with um, transparency which oftentimes fixes the the thing that is bothering me about colors. Um, Maybe I'm hacking stuff with with the use of that, but uh, anyway, it seems to be working. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you feel more uh, like empowered being able to do this all by yourself? Yes, like this is this was um, yes, 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 and yes. I I, I the back end stuff I still feel limited on. Um, I actually have a topic today that I that I want to talk to you about um, related to the employee benefits offering and. Um, man, it's like now that I've got the front end stuff, I really, 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 uh, I, I really want to have the same capabilities with the back end. I just don't need it right now for leg up health. And, uh, I think that's okay. I think, I think, I think, I think that's okay. And I will 
figure it out as I go. Yeah. I heard a really, what I thought was a really good uh, explanation of what, what an entrepreneur's role is um, on a different podcast. And it basically said, your role is to get it, to get every part of the business from zero to 80. And then you can hire someone to get it from 80 to a hundred, basically. And I had a lot of, the second I heard that, like so many mistakes of my past in terms of when I hired and who I hired and how I empowered them and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that exactly explains everything that was wrong with what I was doing. But this is one of those things where like, I feel like you can probably get to 80 with your current front end skills and your no code skills and the rest, like it would be cool for you to know it, but I bet the business doesn't need you to know it ever really. Yeah. At least not, at least not anytime soon. Um, and so one thing I will say though, well, I, I, I want to go into what you said. You mentioned that that idea caused you to reflect on some things that went wrong. It sounds like hiring mistakes. I, what you're talking about. Could you, could you mm-hmm. dive into those a little bit? Yeah, I've kind of referenced this long ago on the podcast that I've I've always kind of thought that the biggest mistake I made as a founder or CEO or whatever was the phase of the company where we were going from like when it was just me and Bracken as co-founders doing everything ourselves. That was very natural to me. I think being an individual contributor is very natural. Where we are now, I feel okay about it. It required more growth, but like building a team of 19 people and mostly delegating things. I still have some individual contributor stuff, but that like five, six, seven employee size of the company, we really, we didn't exactly plateau. We were still growing, but we languished a little bit more than we should have. And I think the reason is I thought as soon as I started hiring people, I become a delegator and I say, it's okay. Now it's your job to do this. Now it's your job to do this. And if you look back at what worked and what didn't, the people I hired to step into roles I was already doing somewhat effectively succeeded. And the people I hired where I was like, I don't know anything about, you know, marketing or business development or whatever. We've we just blow everything we've done in the past up, start from scratch and build it yourself. Those are the areas where one of those people completely failed. One of them, Alex, who you know is still with us, but like the first couple of years did not go the way either of us were planning on it. And it's because I wasn't really putting them in a position to succeed because I hadn't gotten us to 80 yet. Interesting. I want to challenge it, but I don't think I can. Uh, What is 80? Yeah, fair question. I I don't think... Probably it shouldn't be taken literally. Yeah. But the point is, the point I'm making, I guess, is I think... If you hire someone into something that you're not doing super well, you don't have to be an expert at it, but it's like working and you say, take this thing that's working and then over time, make it your own and grow it, which is what happened, for example, on the customer service side of things. Michael came in. I was like, here's how I do customer service. I feel good about it. It's working. What the organization is now, the customer service side, radically different from what I built back in the day. But he started with that foundation and then made it his own rather than me just saying, I don't know, figure it out, you know? Yeah, it sounds like um, what, what AD is referencing is something, some level of, of clarity around what the role needs to accomplish. Um, and it, until you have that, it's very difficult to have someone set up for success. One of the easy ways to get that clarity is to do the job. Yeah, get it get it working mostly, and then 
manage from there. There's probably other ways to do it too, but I, I like mm-hmm. I like the philosophy um, because it's it's true, and I've I've made the similar mistakes. Uh, I I hope I wish I'd like to think that you could hire someone who's just a go getter and let them succeed. But I like I try to put I if I put myself in that situation without without a sandbox to play in, clear lines and clarity of what success is, I don't even think I would be successful. Yeah. I also think a mistake that I've, I fell into and I've seen other people fall into is you think I'm the co-founder. I'm not an expert at, you know, these five things. If I bring in and and I'm doing all of them, right? I'm, I'm splitting time 10% towards that 10% towards that. And I'm not even good at them. If, if we're doing good enough as a business, if we're growing and stuff like that, imagine what happens when I bring in a full-time person who's an expert at this to take it over but that person isn't a founder. Even if they were a founder at a different company or something like that, they are not empowered to just do whatever the fuck they want to make it work the way the founder is at a company. And it just kind of like, they're never going to be able to do the same type of thing you can do when you have total power and control at the company. Is that an absolute? Or is that something culturally you can create an atmosphere around for specific positions? I don't know the answer to that, but my my gut says if you have more than a few people with that level of power, organizations probably don't work. Like imagine 20 people all with a founder mentality being like, I have this mandate to make business development work. I have content marketing. I, you know, whatever their thing is, and they're just going around doing whatever they want. I, I think that would be chaos probably. I I've, I haven't read Netflix uh, CEO Reed Hastings is that his name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't read his book yet, but I wonder if this is the is what he talks about in there because I, I know I've I've heard quotes from it um, or paraphrases saying uh, that chaos is what is what you want, Contr- like almost controlled chaos um, or predictable chaos. I don't know, but I I, I really want to read that book. Uh, because I think that the really great cultures like Google somehow figure out how to do this um, without being too too uh, too clear on too specific about what the job is. Yeah, and there's probably a phase after tw- like most of Google and Netflix's history were post twenty employees, at which point something's owned by some everything's owned by somebody, and it's it's like. Getting it from a hundred to two hundred to mess up the metaphor here, maybe, maybe you can enter a different mode. But in addition to what I've already said, the the idea, the framework that it's my job to get from zero to eighty, and someone else's job to get from eighty to hundred, has also helped me think about what do you do as more and more of these things get taken off by other people. And to me, that's the shift from being an entrepreneur to being a CEO. And like the more I look back on it, the more I'm like. When you only have five employees, you're still an entrepreneur, not a CEO. And when you have 100 employees, you're full-on CEO. But there's this really long ramp in the middle where you're, you're, you take something, you get it good enough, you hand it off. You take something else, you get it good enough, you hand it off. And each time, you're becoming a little bit less of an entrepreneur and a little bit more of a CEO, I think. Yeah, I agree. And if you don't get that handoff right, which could be you know, maybe you, you're handing off too early or you don't have enough clarity around what you're handing off or you hire the wrong person to hand it off to, 
you go back, you have to go backwards and redo it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we did this with the uh, software engineering side of the business, where back to that early mistake, one of the very first people I hired was a really brilliant programmer, much, much better than me. But again, I didn't put him in a position to succeed. He left the company. I took it over again and started building that function of the company myself. And now we're handing it off kind of to Robert and I feel much, much, much better about it. So it's, it's exactly what you just said. It's almost, it's, it's almost, uh, you know, there is a probability of something that that will happen every time you bring someone on to take the 80% to go to hundred. It's risky. It's, it's almost like everyone in the company should expect that to be a possible outcome. So when it does happen, it's not a holy shit moment. It's a, oh, well, this was one of the possible outcomes. So unfortunate, we got to go back into it and do it again. I think that also that mindset could also help an entrepreneur deal with that without getting all frustrated and, and losing patience. Yeah. I'm realizing like, I am going to get to that point at some point, I'm going to hire someone. They're going to have some probability of success. It's not 100%. And if it doesn't work out, the reality is I'm not just going to be able to go hire someone else. I'm going to have to jump and do it again uh, and retool and and figure out how to how to increase the probability of success of the next person. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of it. Absolutely. And I, I'm, a, I'm a, one of my updates here, which I'll just jump into because it's related, is one of our CRM coaches is officially going full-time into marketing. Um, which is our, our second time having a, a f- real marketer, but the, the first person did it for a while and then went to law school. So for, for a while now, we haven't really had someone full-time on marketing. Um, and it sh- this time, I'm viewing my role in the process differently, which is to say what you just said. We know there's a good chance that it won't work. Not, not with this employee. She's worked at the company for a year, for over five years now. It's not like she's going to not work out. But marketing might not work out if I don't still view it, even though she'll be doing a lot of the work, it's still my job to make sure it gets to 80. And in the past, what I would have done is I would have been like, well, Eunice is smart. She's uh, She reads a lot of books. She listens to podcasts. She'll figure this out. And I still have all that faith in her. But I'm also like, even if she's the most talented person in the world, it's still my job to work with her and make sure that it happens. There's a huge difference in that relationship and then your mindset. And then also the company's perception when you take that approach versus uh, Eunice, what's up this week? Like mm-hmm. it's a transfer of ownership. Um, and what you're saying really is this isn't ready to be transferred in terms of ownership. It's re- it's ready for collaboration. Um, but, but ownership, um, at, at, of, of success is not being transferred, uh, ownership of tactical things and um, responsibilities within this thing that I own are being uh, transferred. That's a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it it feels so different this time. Oh, that's that the transfer of the premature transfer of ownership was the number one management mistake I repeatedly made at people keep. Hmm. So I, it's funny you use those words. I've been, I've been talking through this with my, to myself in my head and I was using the term premature delegation, which I think isn't quite right. And I kind of knew it. It's almost right, but you're allowed to bring other people in and have them help and even delegate. You're not allowed to give up ownership. I think that's that's what the mistake is. So I, I totally agree. Yep. 
Yeah, cool. it's interesting. Um, what else is going on with you? Uh, this is just kind of a random side note. So I mentioned a week or two ago that I'm preparing. Once I get back from vacation, I'm going to be giving the six-month presentation that we do twice a year. Uh, and in these, normally, I'm kind of talking through various points about just how the business is evolving and anything like that. Um, once again, if any employees are listening, you get a sneak peek into what's going to be said. I have started shifting my uh, attitude towards benefits. And for a little background here, I always thought that um, employee, like ba- basically because I worked with you at Zane Benefits back in the day, which was a employee benefits software provider, basically, I learned a lot about benefits. I formed a lot of opinions about benefits. And my basic attitude is that they're bad for employees, that humans are really terrible at valuing things. And, you know, there's all these psychological studies where, for example, if you give a mug, if you have a mug, like a coffee mug, and you give someone $10 and you say, how much money will you give me for this mug? They're like, I don't need a mug. Like, I'll just take the $10. If you give them the mug and then you say, I've got $10, like, I'll give you a dollar for it. They're like, no, no way. This this is my mug. I'm not giving it up for a dollar. So depending on how like the, the context, people value things differently, which is an opportunity to uh, take advantage of people. I think this is what employee benefits is, is it's a way to give someone worth a dollar and make them think it's worth $10 because they're bad at valuing it. Um, so our philosophy at Less Annoying from the very early days was unless there's like a really, really compelling reason to give a benefit. We're just going to pay you more money and let you, you know, you're an adult, you know, buy, buy whatever you want. If you want to buy health insurance, go buy health insurance. Um, I still 100% think that that is correct, but I'm starting to give up the fight a little bit because A, nobody else thinks that that's correct. But the big thing I want to talk about is the concept of innovation tokens. Have you heard of that concept before? I haven't, but before we go to that topic, I just want to comment on the the bias that the, this the bias you have and that I share about mm-hmm. this. Um, and then I want to just talk uh, about Charlie Munger real quick. Charlie Munger um, did a speech uh, called "The Psychological Like the Human Psychological Tendencies That Cause Misjudgment." I butchered that, but basically, the things that we do as humans that are baked into our like sort of our, our, our DNA of how we process things. Um, we make really bad decisions because of psychological misjudgments. Employee benefits trigger some of these. You're, you, what, my favorite one, one of my favorite ones is deprival super reaction tendency. That's what he calls it. Mm-hmm. And um, when you give someone something in a benefit, whether this is an employer or whether this is a government uh, in the form of a tax benefit, it is so hard to take that away and replace it with something of equal value because what you own you we ha- we we misjudge and overvalue it once it mm-hmm. becomes ours and There's he like calls an emotional that, connection or whatever and it's he calls it deprival super reaction tendency and and so <laughs> one of the cha- like one of the reasons i think it's reasonable to give up the fight is that because employee benefits exist deprival super reaction tendency makes them very difficult to go away. Uh, and so it's almost like this vicious cycle of, uh, 
you know, and, and same thing with like with with the tax code that enables a lot of these employee benefits. You, you, it's so hard to take these away. You almost have to replace it. If you're going to take a benefit away to a, of an employee, you almost have to uh, replace it with something that's 10x the value mm-hmm. of what you're currently giving in order for them not to freak out and like have a mis- you know basically dislike you. Yeah. And in this case, we're not taking anything away from our current employees, but if someone's switching from a different job to them, they're, it's being taken away because that previous employer had it and, and we don't have it. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's uh, so frustrating. All right. So benefit <laughs> benefit tokens. Uh, innovation tokens. Innovation tokens. Okay. What I, are these? I read about this concept in a technical blog post. I wish I remembered exactly where it was, but it was someone basically saying, uh, when you make technical decisions... Imagine that your your company has three innovation tokens. I don't think the number three is what's important here. It could be any number, but a, a fixed number of innovation tokens. And basically, innovation in this case is doing something different from how everyone else does it. You can spend those innovation tokens on anything you want and do things differently and better, presumably. Like If you're going to do something differently, you wouldn't do that unless you feel pretty strongly it's better. But once you've spent the three tokens, you can't do anything differently anymore. And basically, the this obviously isn't meant to be taken literally, but the idea is innovation is good, but it comes with a cost, and you can't innovate on everything. So you should think about what are the things that are important to the business to spend these innovation tokens on. And I don't know why I'm doing so much reflecting in this episode on mistakes of the past, but if I look backwards, in the very early days of the company when we started hiring people, coming up with policies on benefits and all these other things... I realized that we tried to innovate on everything. Uh, we tried to view everything from first principles and say, well, forget how every other company does it. Like, we're going to do this the right way, and we're just going to kind of swim upstream here. And in a lot of ways, I, I think we actually came up with some really interesting ideas and a lot of stuff, we got it right. And I sort of don't even regret doing it because it was such a great exercise in terms of thinking about what we are as a company and what we're about. But now that we know a little better what matters and what doesn't. I'm like, I do not want to spend my innovation tokens on how we provide benefits. I, I can't blame you. I'm sorry that you even, I'm sorry to you and every other business owner who's trying to build a business that has a positive impact on the world that has to actually consider this in the first place. Yeah. Um, so... I wanted to talk about the innovation token thing because I think it's like it, it's it's shaping my framework a lot. Specifically, what we're changing is basically we're just going to say, you know what, if people, if humans have expectations about benefits, we're going to try to meet those expectations. We're, we're not really in spending mode right now, so not a lot is going to change immediately. But rather than having this strict, like, here's our philosophy and we're going to try to fit within it, we're just going to be like, we want to hire good people and good people want free you know, vision insurance. So rather than giving everyone, I don't know what vision insurance costs, 50 bucks a month or whatever, rather than giving everyone a 50 buck a month raise, we are going to give everyone vision. And that will help us be a more competitive uh, recruiter in the future. I hate you, but I can't fault you. (laughs) I hate it too. It feels really slimy. It's, It's just so exploitative towards employees. It's the right business decision though. Uh, oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I, As you can tell, I'm not happy about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think in the past, I would have put up a larger fight over this conversation. Um, but well, the reality is, you, you know, you are a more mature company now. Uh, retention of employees and recruiting of employees is more important than a philosophy uh, around employee benefits. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're making the right decisions. I think, uh, I think in a, in a situation in which you are not in a position to just say, we'll give you whatever you want employees, then a philosophy does have a role to play in terms of helping employees understand, you know, and buy into your benefit approach. So perhaps like pre, you know, pre, you know, today in the past, where you couldn't just offer, you know, Fortune 500 benefits, mm -hmm. you you needed to think through these things the way that you did, so that the you know, it, you know the 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 why behind you you know what you were doing, you know, you got value for despite it not being what employees expected. That's a really good point, especially if I if I can reframe that a little bit, the type of well, the type of person you want to hire in the early days is probably a different type of person. And you have something to offer that you will lose. E even if you're the fastest growing company, you, you know, the next Uber or whatever, um, once you hit kind of that mature company status you're talking about, you can't offer the same level of excitement anymore. You can't offer as much upside. Like, even though it ended up being wrong, five years ago, I could credibly claim to somebody if you if you take this job right now there's a decent chance you're going to get rich from it now it's like okay well you know we're not all billionaires but you'll still get paid really well and you'll have a 40 hour work week and a low stress job and teammates you like there's a lot of reasons to work here but it's not it's not the same thing and the type of person that I was trying to attract 5 years ago probably would respond better to us spending 20 innovation tokens on meaningless crap like like that. And the type of person I want to recruit now is probably looking more for safety and stability. So yeah, that that's a good point. Cool. Yeah. I, I, innovation tokens are interesting. Are there other areas in which you're applying the concept? Um, I think there will be, but I, I think just generally speaking, you can... You can model this as we are going to go, we are going to double down on the things that are really important that make us different, and we're going to give up everything else. And I, I don't have a specific, I'd have to think through what exactly that means, but like what makes us different, we're probably going to continue like kind of our culture of moving slow, but still being ambitious, I think is probably like one of them. I, I don't know. I'd have to think through it more, but yes, I... Now that I'm coming to terms with the fact that we shouldn't be innovating on everything, I think it won't be like overnight there's this huge shift, but gradually over time, we're going to probably, yeah, we're going to du double down on a few things and give up all the other fights. That makes sense. So it's really just a focusing, a focusing concept. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's good. And the reality is this has been happening anyway. Like, if you read our employee handbook right now in the benefits section, there's this whole thing about our philosophy at the top. It used to be like, here's our philosophy and we'll pay for your parking because it's a huge pain in the ass to deal with the parking lot. Basically, that was it. And now it's like, 
well, we'll pay 50% of your health insurance. We'll pay for parking. We have a 401k. There's just not a match because like that would be a problem. Like that we actually have normal benefits for the most part. It's just been a very gradual erosion of it. And now it's like, okay, let's admit what's going on here. And this, this doesn't make us unique anymore. And, and, and you can let go of whatever sort of baggage you're carrying around by not living up to what the old philosophy. Yeah. Cause every time we gave a job offer to someone in the early days, no one asked about benefits because it was all like new college grads who don't know what benefits are. But now if, if you give a job offer to someone who's been in the industry, they're like, what are the benefits? And it's like, okay, so we have a 401k, but here's the thing. Like, I don't want to be too paternalistic and like, we don't have a match for these reasons. Or like, we, we have parental leave, but we, we offer it to everybody, even if you don't have kids. That, that's another one that we're probably going to... What we what we do right now is we just have a sabbatical, and it's like if you want to use your sabbatical for parental leave, you can. Um, but it's you can use it either way. We're, we're going to keep the sabbatical, but we're going to actually start saying we have parental benefits. So I'm going to do us both a favor, and I'm going to end this conversation. Just like you're going to be able to going forward, you don't have to talk about this stuff anymore. You just right. get to say, "Listen, these are the benefits." <laughs> exactly. So it, it's going to be so much cleaner. I do have a question. Um, at what point? What would it need? What would need to happen? I think I already know the answer to this. What would ne- what would need to happen in order for you to consider? switching to we don't offer any benefits except money and you decide how to spend your money on whatever benefits you want i mean i don't think like that we're we're going in the exact opposite direction of yes. that right now um the the mindset of a meaningful number of americans would have to change that's what i thought okay yeah and that's we're not there yet but do you believe that the mindset of a meaningful number of americans will eventually change around this there's no question that healthcare is the number one thing here. That's what really matters to people. If we had some form of, as you point out, there's any number of ways to implement this, but something where people aren't getting health insurance or, or healthcare at all from their employer, I, I could see maybe that starts eroding this stuff where it's like, yeah, you know, what if, what if you don't need any of these? But I, 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 I doubt it. I think that, like we've said, the human brain has these hacks that can abuse them and they're going to keep working i think so yeah so there there have to the health insurance has to fall first we're a couple decades we're a decade or two away from that and then after health insurance falls it's got to fall with the other benefits so we're a ways away it wouldn't shock me if, if health insurance falls if it has the opposite effect of companies being like well we can't you know keep our indentured servants with this lever we need to come up with even more levers to fuck everybody <laughs> over <laughs> Yeah, the tax code, like the tax code, ultimately the tax code is the root problem here. If you just, if you change the tax code so that you tax consumers and not, you know, consumers directly versus having the employer be the collection tool, it removes a lot of power from the employer and a lot of dependency on uh, on the employer to figure this stuff out. And I don't see that happening for a long, long time. Yeah, although even setting, I, I mostly agree with you, but if you look at all these Bay Area companies that are like, oh, we'll do your dry cleaning for you and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure those that's all taxable now. Like, I think at one point they were doing it tax-free, but yeah. that's changed. And they still do it because what they're doing, their business model is we're going to hire 22-year-olds who just graduated college. They have never lived on their own before, really. And they want a parent who does their laundry and cooks their food, and they're never going to learn how to live on their own. And it's it's like infantilizing your employees and 
just keeping them like locked into your ecosystem, I think that's going to still be a viable approach regardless of the tax code. All right. Well, that's sad. It's okay. Uh, well, we'll uh, what, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, that's all my stuff for today. You, you got any topics you want to discuss? Well, uh, let's see. We've covered the website. I'm hoping that by the time this goes live, I will have finished it. There are three, like, as I mentioned, if you take a look at it, there are three or four, uh, links that are going, are dead still. Um, but if anyone takes a look at it, including you, Tyler, I'd love feedback, positive, negative, uh, messaging wise, I guess, um, prompts as you review it as design, do you, are there opportunities to improve the design? Uh, more importantly though, I think I'm interested in, do you understand what it is like up health does? Do you understand why, if you were in the situation, um, that leg up health could help, you would pick leg up health over alternatives. And could you see yourself if you were a leg up health, uh, potential customer, moving forward with leg up health. Those are the three questions that are most important to me right now. And, uh, assuming I can get a you know confidence that I'm answering those three questions on the website, my plan next is to start outreach and driving awareness of the platform. Cool. So is that going to look like, I don't know, a few months ago, you said you were going to go out and hustle your way to 50 customers. Is it basically that plan or is it a different outreach strategy now that you've put in all this legwork on positioning and the website and stuff? So the hustling to 50 customers worked. Um, I didn't do it nearly as much as I told you and committed to myself that I would do. Um, I got, I, I reflected recently and that, that positioning framework, I got r- roadblocked on messaging. I was like, I got, I remember I reached out to people and I was like, I'm having trouble explaining what we do. People aren't getting it. And so I started working on messaging like crazy. Um, and, and this is sort of the, f- the final touches on the messaging project. I have no doubt that that my outreach is going to work now, now once I figure out messaging and it's a, it's totally a hustle thing, but it's a hustle without being annoying. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, that's going to be the challenge is how do I do outreach? How do I ask for referrals? How do I generate some word of mouth that, you know, is not annoying. Is this still your personal network one-on-one or are you starting to think about scaling this, delegating some of it? Yeah. So remember Lena, who is our part-time marketing team member. Um, she's actually on the team page. If you go look at legofhealth.com, it's kind of nice. cool. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, she is, um, has been iterating. So she, as you may recall, her internship pro- pro- uh, project this summer was to build a go-to-market plan for Leg of Health. She researched all of Utah. Um, she's a big reason why we're, why I feel confident focusing on just Utah for, for a while. Um, she identified, um, the professional segment of real estate agents as a ideal, uh, you know, sort of target segment. So she, um, is doing outreach directly to real estate agents and we'll be doing that through the rest of the year. Um, her goal is she has about 15,000 real estate prospects, uh, in Utah that she'll be reaching out to in various ways, um, and figuring out what works, uh, with the, the constraint of don't be annoying, um, and be, you know, uh, be, be, be thoughtful and represent the brand well. Mm-hmm. So that's happening. Um, pro- weekly progress is being made there. Uh, nothing to report yet uh, that I want to, but I think I should have some wins to share on that next week. We, uh, and then, you know, for me, it's, it's just about like, I, it's about 
talking to people in Utah, telling them what I'm doing in a way that they understand and asking them to tell their people, that's probably going to be my approach. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously figuring out what's working within that and doubling down on what is. Cool. Do you have some kind of goal either in terms of I'm going to do this for this amount of time or until we hit this number of customers or anything like that? Yeah. So I think there's, so that once this website goes out, I'll have messaging. I'll, I, I don't think I'll, I'll make iterations on it for the rest of the year, but at the end of the day, unless it leads to a conversion of, of a, to a client in mm-hmm. 2020, I'm not going to probably do much to the marketing website. I do have so so really if you think about what's our focus for this year, it's acquiring clients and serving our existing clients. Uh, which is you know, the the nice thing about that is that merges into open like one ob- objective, which is maximize open enrollment. Um, and so that's the primary focus. There is a second one other thing that I need to worry about right now, and that is uh, just scalability of some of the manual systems I've built. So I'm 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 unsure of how I'm going to prioritize those, but I know I need I need to I need to put in some time and te- and cleaning up some technical debt um, uh, as between now and open enrollment because I believe I believe a two I believe two things. First, I believe that uh, as, as if I do outreach for most of October with Lena with this new messaging, uh, open enrollment is going to be incredibly busy for leg up health. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if open enrollment is, is incredibly busy, uh, for leg up health, I believe I will not have time to fix some of the systems that need to be fixed. Uh, I will be on back to back calls most days, uh, f- potentially six days a week. So, uh, that means that if I'm in a situation in November for like November 1st, where I haven't cleaned up any of the technical debt and I'm still doing some of the manual things I'm doing, I'm going to have to either say no to clients or I'm going to have things. I'm going to have to not deliver on some of the things I promised, which means I'll have, I'll have to say no to clients and I don't want to have to do that. Um, so I don't know. I'm gonna have to balance. My biggest challenge right now is balancing getting outreach happening uh but while also balancing making sure things don't break as we stress test we stress the system open enrollment is november 1st through december 15th december 15th but yeah yeah it's so exciting that you've got this like the government makes this time window where things have to get kind of crazy for you <laughs> it is uh and maybe maybe this is a question I can ask you. Maybe I should just be like okay with things breaking f- during open enrollment and just plan on December fifteenth through, you know, December thirty first being clean up. What are the types of things, like the manual things you're doing? What are the types of things that might break if you don't fix all this stuff? The, th- the there are three things. One is when a a client buys a policy or adds an existing policy to leg up health, that is incredibly manual for me to add that to the platform. The second is so, and then deleting it is the same way. So sort of what I would call adding policy management would be that category. How much time are we talking about for like someone buys a policy, you have to do what 30 minutes of work, somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes of work, depending on how focused I am. 
but it's like looking at three different systems. So it's like, it's not so much the time it's incredibly mentally taxing because making an error is not, you can't make an error. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I I have to go through three different systems to verify everything. So um, automating that would be huge. Um, The second is uh, onboarding. So when um, someone onboards, there are certain emails I want to be sent. There are certain um, text messages I want to, there's a text message I want to be sent. There is, uh, if they add an AOR, there's a, a document that needs to be sent. Those that is all manual right now. So anytime someone signs up, there is a a lot of manual work. The third, and this is probably the most like uh, the least, the most painful, but the least important um, because I can just do it a day, pretty much. That is um, monthly updates. So we send a monthly email check-in email to all of our clients, and it includes uh, a list of all the policies that they have what their um, deductible is and what their out-of-pocket maximum is and how much they've used of it. Hmm. And that's manual. Okay. But in the entirety of open enrollment, you only need to send that email probably one time or maybe two times. October, November, and December. Oh, sorry. It starts, open enrollment starts in October. Sorry, during open enrollment, it'll be November 15th will be the hard one because it'll be like, all right, literally I should be serving clients right now, but instead I'm... For two, if assuming depends on how many people I have at that point, but I'm sending 40 emails that take a uh, you know a few minutes, 10 to 15 minutes to build each. Yeah. Um, uh, and then doing that same thing December 15th. Of those three things, the second one to me sounds like what where I would start probably. I agree. The yeah, I agree. Because the first one, the nice thing about that is it directly ties to revenue. If you have to spend 30 minutes every time you bring on a whatever it is, $30 a month like customer, great. You know, that that's the type of problem you want to have. Whereas the second one, the one where onboarding emails and stuff like that, you're talking about someone can sign up for your free thing and they need to get these and it, it's kind of disconnected from revenue and you could just get swamped by that and not really have the revenue to show for it. Is that right? I like that. I like that framework for thinking about it. It's like, is this post-revenue or pre-revenue? If it's pre-revenue, automate the heck out of it. And if it's not, wait until it breaks and then automate it. Yeah. Yeah, because you you can... Uh, what sucks is to put yourself through hell and not come out the other side with a good business. But if you've got a month and a half of working 90-hour weeks... But you're just, you know, getting customers, making money. And at the end of that, you can be like, wow, we in, in a month and a half, we just went from this like MVP fledgling unproven thing to like now we've got a revenue stream and I can have a full time employee next year. That 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 to me feels like the type of thing you'd have no problem doing. Yep. Yep. And there's probably you know what's interesting? The thing that I dislike the most is the month so I would probably do onboarding first and then I would quit there's I would quickly do something with the monthly emails to minimize. So there's two parts to that. One is the sending of the email. The second is the gathering. the The second is the gathering of the of the of the data to be able to send the email. I could pretty quickly automate the data gathering aspects, and that would like that alone would just make me feel better about that. Could you hire out any of this, like just for a month? 
I don't, I, I, I know because I, I, I'm applying my 80% there and I'm like, I don't, I am not yet at 80% there. And mm-hmm. the minute I am, I'm going to automate this before hiring someone because it's like, it's like, it's, it's so, it's not complicated. It's complicated to automate, but like the time it takes to f- find someone to hire, like, uh, you know, all, you know, to, to educate them. And this is critical stuff. Like you screw this stuff up. This, the last, the second two items, add your, or the add your policy one, policy management one, and the monthly update email, that is critical data about their health insurance policy that cannot be erroneous. Like, yeah. like if it is, then like they lose trust in us. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So for the, basically between now and November, you are doing kind of like, awareness demand generation stuff to try and make sure you have a lot of opportunities coming in during open enrollment. And then you're trying to automate as much of this stuff as you can so that you have as much bandwidth as possible once the busy season starts. Yep. That sounds, awesome. does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you're, I mean, you've got something that's working at a, a very small scale right now. If you, if you feel pretty confident that things are going to get busy. That definitely sounds right. Yeah. I feel confident that things are probably going to get busy if they don't. Okay. Yeah. That's the, what it, an interesting question is if I look back in January on 2020 and I say it didn't get busy, what will I have, have wanted to accomplish? Mm-hmm. I will have wanted to automate onboarding. Absolutely. Because that will let me sort of keep working on leg up health on, and maybe reduce my 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 time on it a little bit, but continue to progress it without having all the manual work. I will I will not care whether I've automated ad policies or remove policies. I will not care if I have updated monthly updates. I will care whether I've uh, reached out to sufficient people in Utah to to um try to drive awareness and see what happens from that. I mean, that's yeah. That's it. I don't, th- I don't believe what I'm about to say, but like a really play it safe conservative approach here would be to say, ignore open enrollment. You know, it's, it, it's this big deal or whatever, but it, it comes around once a year. It's, it's not sustainable. And just the thing you are doing to get to 50 customers, go out and do the same thing to get to 250. Explain. Like, ignore that open enrollment's happening and say, like, a while back when we talked about this, you you seemed pretty confident that if you just work your network, ask your current customers for referrals, do whatever, you can just have a have a call with each new customer, go out, do do it the old school way, and you could get to, let's say, 250 customers with or without open ro- enrollment. Over time. I, I, over time. I'm not... Yeah advocating for this but i guess i'm just saying the really conservative approach here is to not get your hopes up on this this big push that involves marketing and kind of doing things you haven't really done yet i don't know but you can just do that in january so nothing's really lost even if open enrollment flops yeah i guess that's that's a good point i'm i don't want my messaging to be about open enrollment i want it to be about driving awareness with leg up health and I want it, I do believe that people will be more receptive to the awareness driving 
because it's open enrollment and it's top of mind, but I, I don't want open enrollment to be the, the, the reason I'm reaching out to people. I want it to be like, Hey, I've got a new company. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's, whether it's January, December or March, I want to tell you about it. And you know what, you know, sure. Maybe you're more likely to need, have a need now because it's open enrollment and everybody, this is top of mind. But even if you don't like keep, keep like, let me know if you know anyone. Yeah. I almost wonder if there's an opportunity for marketing before open enrollment with this in mind, being like open enrollment's coming. I've got I've got five slots a day for a call. Like get in now so that I can help you rather than trying to get in then. I, I've, I've thought about saying like, listen, our capacity for helping clients this Q4 is 150 clients. If you want to be on the list, sign up now. Um, we will not serve more than 150 clients. Um, we want to be able to guarantee service. We'll increase our capacity in 2021, um, but this is the limit. I every time I we we talk about doing those things, I feel like it's almost there's no reason to do it for the consumer. Like it's all very selfish. And I go back to just tell people like. You know, we you know we want to help them, and when you get to capacity, tell people, "Hey, sorry, we're at capacity." Yeah, that's true. I, if it's not true that you need to limit capacity, making an artificial limit is certainly like not helping the, the customer. But if it is true, if you're like, "We're going to get ten thousand inbounds, and I'm going to be able to help 150 people," you could use that to smooth it out and say, "What if I can help some of them now instead of in November?" The problem with that is like it's an it's based on an assumption. I yeah. can say like like yeah, I'm confident that we're going to get a lot of inbound inquiries. The only reason I would tell them that I have limited capacity for them is to make them sign up faster, right? Like that, right? Why else yeah. would I do it? Uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? We were talking about you might have these employer clients that come on though, and the, the big time you'll be spending time on them is open enrollment. I understand open enrollment's a great marketing opportunity for you because it's the only time in the year where people think about health insurance. At the same time, imagine years from now, you've got tens of thousands of customers. I could see a world where open enrollment is the one time of the year where you don't do any marketing. You don't do any sales. You don't accept new customers because you're like, we have 10,000 people already that we have to serve. We're not going to like go higher. Like we can't double the size of our team or whatever. We're going to be fully, fully maxed out, just serving our current customers. No new signups during open enrollment. That seems possible to me that that might happen one day. It's interesting. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I at the high level here, which is let's just focus on serving customers. And helping them like it's any other day of the month and it just happens to be open enrollment and not try to blow, like not try to make it this special growth opportunity because it's open enrollment. It's like, let's treat this quarter Q4 like any other quarter we would treat if we were focused on growth, which we are. And that's what we're going to do. And because it's open enrollment, I expect it to be more effective than usual. But in reality, it's like I was talking to our general agent who is a general agent in health insurance is someone who sort of is the middle person between the insurance company and the agent who actually works with the client. And I've, they're really great. I don't say that about many people in the health insurance space. These guys are really, really great. They, uh, I was calling and saying like, can you tell me like how I compare to your other agents? They've got about 150, 200 agents in Utah focused on individual health insurance. 
they say that my they said that my out of uh, open enrollment business growth is in the top percent. Nice. Of, so, what does that mean? What does that tell me? It tells me I have hardly done anything with this. If I were actually marketing this, I would have like right. And so, what does that mean for open? So then I asked the question: What? So how does a, an agent's productivity change during open enrollment? Mm-hmm. And he said, a, a, an average agent, if if they're you know they're they're barely you know they're just enough to like continue to do it another year, or it's going to do fifty new get fifty clients during open enrollment. So if I apply, like, I don't know, I'm doing ten times what a, a non-agent, a, a normal yeah. agent, is doing at ten percent capacity, and then I put one hundred percent capacity. At open enrollment, I mean, that means that I should, I could potentially have hundreds, if not a thousand potential clients mm-hmm. in Q4. Yeah. The, the, if I can be a wet blanket for a second, it's possible that all the stuff you're doing that's making you better during non open enrollment, like maybe all these other agents are out there, like really, really schmoozing and setting up open enrollment in a way that you're not you uh, you don't think so okay i don't either but you know no it's it's, it's, it's a transactional different. transaction business they're gonna buy it's a lead buying business so how do they get the 50 clients they buy leads they they cold call they they do the stuff that annoys people it's just that people are actually willing to buy it's so they, they don't do that in april because no one no one would buy that's very exciting. That's also so scary. Like back yes. to the think a few years ahead. Like, how do you ramp up your capacity for this one and a half months out of the year? I don't know yet, but you know what I think. I I go back to our well. First, I want to say it's really scary, and that's what you can kind of see why I'm a little bit worried about the manual stuff I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm worried about capacity and how to handle that when I'm at capacity. The cool thing is I've set up like a health as a family is, is an independently owned business. And I have no problem saying, guys, we're at capacity. Um, get on the wait list. I promise once we have capacity, we will come to you and we will serve you. In the meantime, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And feel free to use our software. That's not quite what scares me, though. Well, I'm, I'm making up a problem that doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah, so it, tell so, me to so, shut up. So, so, that's, so let me clarify. That's, that's, I just want to acknowledge that. That's my yeah, short-term yeah. worry. But there's a longer-term business model worry, which is what you're getting to, around how do you, um, how do you staff this? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you scale the, how do you scale this? And I am, um, I don't know yet, but I go back to our conversation around remote workforce and how I think during open enrollment, it's really difficult to be remote first. And we talked about how maybe this is a your in your remote first in the you know March you know in April Q two and Q three, but you're in the office working Q one Q four Q one, and I see that being a really interesting business model for parents, especially moms who have kids in school and uh, you know are the are the stay at home mom. And but but you know have capacity in you know in, in Q4 and Q1 to help and maybe it's not a full time gig during Q4 and Q1 but it's a part time gig. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, it makes sense. You sound a lot like uh, our our mentor Paul Zane Pilzer, who was always trying to figure out. You know, there's this huge potential workforce of people who you know go to be full time parents and then their kids are 
12 years old and they don't need a full-time parent anymore and like but it's hard to get back into the workforce huge huge opportunity there if you can find job opportunities for them yeah I'd, i'd also be curious what what do accounting firms do here like i've always wondered every single person who hires an accounting firm really only cares about their services between march 15th and april 15th and you know every once in a while something comes up throughout the year but for the most part everybody like everything is in that month how do they staff i wonder i mean i think you what you see is that they they don't and they're that's why they're it's just such a fragmented business um right like i i i don't i don't know the answer um to it i think accounting's a little bit trickier it's much more complex um and so i think this is more like Medicare staffing. How does Medicare? Medicare is an annual open enrollment thing. Same thing. And if you look at like how other insurance call centers are doing this around an annual event, it's seasonal staffing in a call center, which is, I just can't, I can't, you don't want that. No, I can't do that. So it might be, it might just be limited growth, um, until, until maybe like a certain size in which, until you can really, um, use debt to finance growth, um, over a year. Even if you do that, though, even if you cap growth, there's no getting around the fact that things will be 5x or 10x busier for that month and a half. And then what do you do the rest of the year? Um, so like one question is, it, your employees, is there a way to reallocate them? I have this on a smaller scale with CRM coaches, where our busiest times are kind of January through maybe May. And then like it's not like in your case where things are going to drop by 90%, but they maybe drop by 50% in the summer. And it's like, can we, maybe they should be doing marketing during that time or I I don't know. Yeah. So um, it's interesting that you bring this up, but one of the topics I brought today that I don't think we're gonna have time to go, go into is funding employee employees with fractional outsourcing. So there's an, there like, this is a crazy idea. I I don't want to go into it too much um, today, but you could, you know, run a separate business. Like you could treat this like the, the people who do snow plowing in the winter and then turn into, you know, m- low mon- mm. lawn mowing people in the summer and just sort of have a complimentary business mm-hmm. to, to this. I don't like that. Um, I think, uh, I think that's not something that will scale to where I want to go. Um, I think it has to be much more complimentary, but I think it's, it's not a question of focus in terms of the business and what we're working on, but probably what we're working on. Um, Q1 and Q4 is going to be all about, you know, getting people insured. Um, uh, whereas I think Q2 and Q3 is going to be about educating the public. It's going to be about creating, uh, it's, 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 it's advocating, uh, with the government it's around, uh, awareness and word of mouth and doing the things that you, you do, um, when you are, are building long-term relationships whether that's online with you know people uh, through a website uh, and content, or it's in person um, with events and that sort of thing, um, so I think it's probably more more like a a role, uh, like a, a sort of a tactical shift, um, uh, more so than a, running a separate business. But I, I I think what's interesting about this is that in the short term, before you get to that scale point where you have access to capital um, and and you know, you're limited by capital, uh, you know, before, you know, it's interesting to consider sort of operating a secondary business in the summer to fund 
the core business. Um, and yeah. I, I, would, I have I actually want to explore that next week um, if we get to it. That's that's very interesting. Cool. I like that. Um, I feel like I've done all the talking this week. Is there anything you want to talk about? No, I'm a, I'm on vacation, man. This is great. I was hoping you'd bring all the topics. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. That's yeah. Sorry, guys. I have one t- one question I need to get out today. Um, maybe we can go into this further another time, but um. So I've sent my first proposal for the employee benefits offering. It's a $2,000 proposal for 10 employees. I have no idea if it's going to get accepted. It's the first time we've gotten this far. If it does, I am going to have to make sure to deliver the platform pretty promptly. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I have three choices, pretty much. One choice is build it within the existing member stack flow that we have. Harder to do, more complex, but probably better for the long term, and you know, there's a learning curve there. But it, I, it, it doesn't create. I, it, it forces me to double down on the systems that I that I am using to automate the, all the other stuff, and would probably lead to me getting more proficient in the current stack. Alternatively, there are two other options that actually would building this as a standalone product would actually be much quicker to market. And easier because I don't have to worry about breaking things with the existing offering um, on the consumer side. And so Adalo and Stacker, Adalo, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. It's like it's the hardest name to pronounce. It's Adalo, Adalo, whatever. Um, it's got to be Adalo. Yeah, it's got to be right. Adalo versus Stacker, and they're they're basically two platforms where you can use a spreadsheet effectively to build an app. Um, Adalo is much more advanced. Uh, I just, I guess the, I, I think I can make a decision between Adalo and Stacker if I were to decide to do it on a new platform. I guess the question really is, should I explore a new platform or should I stick with mem- member stack and double down on what I know? There are many benefits to both approaches, mm-hmm. but I guess uh, I'm interested in just quickly what your, what your bias would be. Well, let me make sure I understand what you, what functionality you actually need to build. So right now you have a system where any random stranger on the internet can come in, create an account, add their insurance information. You'll send them an email with their deductible and stuff like that. They can make you their broker of record or whatever it's called. You need all of this to to offer to like every employee at a employer client of yours should be able to do this stuff. Plus there's some extra layer of stuff like they need to feel like they're getting benefits from their employer. Are you talking about rebuilding the whole thing in Adalo or just the, like, the dashboard that's like you have benefits from your employer? So um, the dashboard to, to, for you have benefits to your employee is, is, is a piece of cake. I don't need any other tool for that. That'll be built into the existing application. It's the employer interface that I'm referring to. So oh, the, an employer, the the employer, an employer signing up, entering in what they want their program details to be, whether they want to offer a stipend, when their start date is, uploading their employee information, removing employees and adding employees. That would be, I could build that this weekend in Adalo and it would be clean and really easy to use. Okay. It would, I don't, figuring out how to build that within the existing member stack, Webflow, Zapier, Airtable stack that I have. Is going to take longer because I have to worry about not breaking things that already work. 
Gotcha. I to me, it's clear. Then you go Adalo, and what I mean by this, I, I would even like challenge you. Maybe don't take this literally, but like you could do this with a Google form. Just be like, oh, here's the form to add an employee. Here's a form to remove an employee. Just type in their email address and hit remove and a 20, give us 24 hours to process it. Like, do you even need this automated? I feel, I don't know. You tell me. Like, I don't, but I want to deliver value for the $2,000. I don't think I need it to be automated to deliver value for the $2,000. I, I think yeah. I'm trying to deliver more val- value than I need to. It's probably my guess. If if this were 12 years ago and the two of us were working together and we were signing up this client, I would go and build a new like portal for the employer to log in and I'd be working on the password reset functionality. Yeah. And you'd come in and be like, what the fuck are you spending your time on here? Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not what they care about. I'm not saying you're going that far with this, but like, I, d- I don't think the employer is going to care if it's built into your member stack flow. Like they can have a totally separate login. If you can build it in a dollar in a day or two, I'd just do it and move on and then learn what you learn from it. And say like eventually, if this is a major part of the business, it's going to be in member stack. It's going to be fully built into everything. But that's a 2021 problem, I think. I'm gonna like, c- are they going to care? Is the employer going to care? They just need this to be to work and to be easy for them. I think like if I make something that doesn't work or is hard for them, that's where I'm failing. And that's my only constraint. I think <sighs> I'm leaning towards honestly just doing email ads and deletes and doing everything manually via email and not having any software for this. I like that a lot. And they know you're new to this, right? They know that they're the first client doing this. That type of person doesn't sign up with you if they're conservative or if they're like, if, if they're like, I want to go, you know, no one got fired for buying IBM. Like they're not buying IBM here. Yep. I think I just need to create like a, a PDF with a couple of questions on it that they can fill in or even a forum and just I'd say, at least use a web form. I okay. think like that's yeah. quite a bit easier. Yeah. It's like create some forms for like the signup process, create a form for the signup process where they answer all the questions I need answers to handle the stipend conversation completely separately over the phone and just say, great, we'll get this implemented for you. And then, yeah, like do it all via email and via maybe, maybe just to sh- share a Google sheet. Oh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a, I'm going to create a, an air table that is the out. Uh, I need to pr- be careful. The, uh, the client name, um, you know, uh, da- you know employed uh, database database and say, listen, you know, this is our our roster. Anytime you want to change something, uh, you know, some, click a button here and notify me. Yeah, I, from from a UX standpoint, I think that's just fine for them. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, that's what I needed, and I'm glad. I, I'm glad we just went a few minutes over there to talk about that because it uh, definitely just saved me a lot of time. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I don't. I don't have anything else on my mind. So you want to sign us off? Well, I just want you to, to say I want you to enjoy your vacation. Thank you. Um, it's more of a personal day than a vacation, I think. But yeah. uh, I hope you enjoy it. I'm getting I'm getting my house set up. I'm uh, I'm learning how to be a homeowner. I have to buy a lawnmower tonight. <laughs> cool. I want you to uh, to immediately following this, 
this episode, set your alarm for 3.30 p.m. I will do that. <laughs> uh, or is it is it 3.30 p.m. your time? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, for next Thursday, because I have a feeling you'll be napping. Every day, nap all day. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice, because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.